Intercessor eternally. Because Jesus serves under the order of Melchizedek, he is completely worthy of serving as high priest. All of the things that we read in our Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the high priest, all of it was a dress rehearsal for the big day. We unhitch from the Old Testament. We say, we're under, the, we're under grace now. We're not under the law. We lose such beautiful truths of what Jesus came to fulfill. If you can look at the cross at Calvary and not see God's wrath against sin, you don't see his love there either. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a is up guys hey listen thank you for stopping by um if it's your first time um on the podcast give it a like um maybe subscribe to it so you get all the content that we put out we try to put out something weekly i know that's not always the case um life's busy um but we're thankful that you stopped by if this is not your first time and if you are returning again we're thankful um we hope that this has been so far um it's been a blessing to you to be able to to come alongside us and um, just do some things that we love to do, right? Uh, we love to, to sit down. We love to talk um, uh, about our Bibles. We love to talk about Jesus and um, his ultimate victory in the world. And that's what we've been talking about the last um, few of our podcasts. And, and so um, <clears throat> if you haven't heard our Daniel 9 and the 70 Weeks Prophecy, the, uh, part one and part two, um, after you listen to this, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, challenge you to go look at those and and. Um, and, and give those a listen. Ultimately, the reason we're, we're doing all of this at the forefront of this is we, um, in our very first podcast, we asked the question, why did we name the podcast the Footstool Podcast? And, and not to get into everything that we've already said, but ultimately, um, it's because of Psalm 110, verse 1, right? It says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And, and we've talked about <clears throat> this today, um, our eschatological view um, that the world's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and the better it uh, the, the worse it gets out there ultimately for the church it's the better it is for us right I, I don't believe that is a biblical way of looking at the world I think um, uh, what, what the Bible ultimately teaches is that God through Jesus and his gospel will be victorious in history and that the last enemy that will be defeated is death that's when the end will come Jesus will return when all of his enemies have been made a footstool, when the gospel has been victorious, and all of his enemies have laid under his feet. And so last week we talked about at the end of the Daniel 9 prophecy, we're going to talk specifically today about uh, Matthew 24 and um, uh, Mark 13, Luke 21, right? The Olivet Discourse, because this ultimately is the passage that everybody goes to, everybody, um, for their eschatological view. Um, and so today we're going to look specifically at Matthew 24, um, see what, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about, you know, the sun's going to fall down, the moon's not going to give its light, all the stars from heaven are going to fall, right? All of these things, these, this cosmic deconstruction language, what in the world does Jesus mean? Um, but again, context is everything, 
right? Context is everything. So ultimately today, what I want to do is I'm going to go through the entire, not the entire gospel of Matthew, but I want to show you how Matthew has brought us, when we get to Matthew 24, how he's brought us through with this constant theme of coming judgment. And not just judgment on everybody, but judgment specifically on the covenant breakers, okay? So if you have a Bible with you, I challenge you to open it up because we're going to be turning a good bit. Um, but go ahead and open up, um, not to Matthew yet, uh, open up to Malachi, if you would. Malachi chapter 3. Now, um, if you know where Matthew is, just turn left in your Bible. Um, Malachi is the final book in the Old Testament. Matthew's our first book in the New Testament. So just go left to Malachi, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, um, Malachi writes down, it's a prophecy ultimately of the Messiah, and he really gives us a timeline. Listen to what it says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in the days of old as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Did you hear that? Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the, the timeline, right, that we get in Malachi 3. Messenger comes first. Messiah comes to his temple. A cleansing, right? Salvation comes, right? The offering of Judah and Jerusalem, ultimately what is that? That's the death of the Son of God on the tree at Calvary. The offering of Judah Right in Jerusalem, it says we'll be pleasing to the Lord. Right, we know that salvation came through Jesus, this Messiah. So, a messenger comes, Messiah comes. He sits as a refiner and cleanses. Salvation comes, and then verse five, then I will draw near to you for judgment. Judgment. That's the timeline. Messenger comes, Messiah comes. He sits as a, as a refiner dies a violent death, brings salvation, judgment comes. Listen to chapter 4, okay? Chapter 4 of Malachi. Behold, the day is coming, listen to this, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The, um, sorry, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch, but you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Now, notice the language used by Malachi. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. Does this language, uh, kind of, what does that language tell us temporally? Right? What time frame is Malachi talking about? Burning like an oven. Is this something that would have been thousands of years post-Malachi? Or does this language show us that something's going to happen relatively quickly? 
I would venture to say that that language says very specifically that this judgment is going to happen not thousands of years later, but that this is coming, and it's coming soon. All right, so with that in mind, with Malachi's um, background, right? Messenger, Messiah, cleansing, salvation, judgment. Let's look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3. Because ultimately, Matthew does something in the third chapter that's very cool. Remember, who comes first in Malachi's timeline? The messenger, right? Well, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Listen, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, let me, let me just say this really quickly. Um, the word that we translate into English, at hand, the Greek word is engizo, okay? It literally means at fingertips, like it's at your fingertips, okay? So, so again, John is not talking about something far off from him. He, he's literally saying, hey, this is coming soon. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Listen, for this is he who was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Matthew quotes from Isaiah, or sorry, from Jeremiah, or sorry, no, he quotes from Isaiah. Sorry about that, guys. And, it, and it, it's, it's literally the, the same prophecy that Malachi gives, that this messenger was supposed to come before the Messiah came. And who does he attribute this messenger to? It's John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist comes and he's preaching repentance. He's preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in verse 7 of the same chapter, chapter 3, says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Listen, you brood of vipers, who warned you, listen, to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not to presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, listen, listen to this language, this temporal language. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Listen, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, salvation, and with fire, judgment. Listen, today, you want the baptism by the Holy Spirit. You don't want baptism by fire. You don't, right? And so even John here, he said he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, bring salvation, but he's also going to baptize with fire, and he's going to bring judgment. Listen to verse 12, more temporal language. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay? So again, we have this temporal language. Winnowing fork is in his hand. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. He, he tells the Pharisees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Right? What's coming? Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you see? What is John talking about? He's talking about, ultimately, judgment is coming. And he's calling the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the first century to repentance, just as the messenger, the promised forerunner, was to do in the Old Testament. He was going to come, and he was going to preach repentance before the Messiah comes. And then what happens? Well, Jesus steps right onto the scene. 
right? Jesus steps into the scene, and we see him come. And so when, well, ultimately, that, that, that Malachi timeline, the messengers come, the Messiah comes, right? Now, I want you to see how Matthew does this with his gospel, because it really is, it's like um, a, a teapot on the stove, right? As we read through Matthew's gospel, we see this, this theme of judgment, right? Judgment on the covenant breakers of Israel. And at, at a certain point, it pops, right? It's, it's steaming up, it's boiling over, boiling over, and then one point, boom, it pops. And I, I would venture to say that in Matthew 24 is where we really see the, the first uh, option of, of it actually popping, right? And when... when Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's saying all of these things and he's, he's, he's already declared all these woes on Jerusalem, right? And we'll ultimately get there. But I want to see how the whole of Matthew's gospel kind of shows us this theme of judgment, okay? So Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 is very important. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, if you want to turn there, I'm going to start reading in, in verse 5. This is when Jesus sends out his 12, Okay. He says this, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? There again. At hand in Gizo. Right? It's, it's at fingertip length. This isn't some far-off reality. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. Right? In, in Mark 1, when he, when he um, uh, finishes... he. Get, uh, defeat Satan in the wilderness. He comes. He says, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel." Right. This is the the theme of all the gospels that Jesus declares that His kingdom has started, has begun. Ultimately, as that as this chapter goes on, um, it, it, I, I'll start reading in verse twenty one of chapter ten. Okay, verse twenty one: Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Listen, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Who's he talking to? Guys, he's not talking to us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his 12 disciples in the first century. He says, you are going to be hated by all for my name's sake. And verse 16 says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? Men are going to deliver you over to the courts and flog you, verse 17. But here's what's the important part of this. Verse 23 when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next town. Listen, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, how in the world could Jesus say something like that? That his disciples aren't going to finish going throughout the, the towns of Jerusalem before he comes. What is he talking about? Something to think about. And as we go through this, we're going to see what Jesus is talking about. Because ultimately, listen, if Jesus says to his disciples that you're not going to even be able to finish going through the towns of Jerusalem before I come, and we put that future to us today, that, Je that Jesus is talking about something right here, future to you and I, well, listen, that doesn't make sense with what Jesus just said to his disciples that they would not finish going through the towns of Jerusalem before the Son of Man comes. Okay, let's keep going. Turn a couple pages to Matthew 16 if you have your Bible. If not, if you're writing notes, um, you keep notes. Matthew 16. Um, if not, you can listen to this later. Write some notes down. Matthew 16. I'm going to start reading um, in verse 21. Okay, verse 21. 
says this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside, though, and, and rebuked him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here we go. We all heard this verse before, right? Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Listen, listen to this. For the Son of Man is going to come with the angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Okay? Now, listen. What is Jesus talking about? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. He's going to repay each person according to what they have done. What is that? It's judgment, is it not? That is judgment language. Do you see it? And listen to what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, Truly, I say to you, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to the people that are standing in front of him right there. Specifically, again, his disciples. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, listen. That's crazy talk, right? If we put what Jesus is talking about future to us that the son of man coming in his kingdom is something that hasn't happened yet that we're still waiting on well then jesus is a liar because he literally just told his disciples that some of them aren't going to taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom now ultimately what does that look like what 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 does that ultimately look like what does Jesus' return, his coming in his kingdom, look like? Well, here's what I'll say, it, um, and, and I, I think we'll flesh this out as we finish through um, Matthew's gospel. When Jesus says that he's coming in judgment, right, that he's coming in the return of his kingdom, he's talking about, this, in, in the same way that Yahweh in the Old Testament would speak, in coming in judgment on a nation. Remember, what was the timeline, messenger, Messiah, cleansing, death, judgment, right? And so ultimately when Jesus talks about these things, he's, he's coming in his kingdom, right? He's going to repay each person what they've done. This is judgment talk. And ultimately, listen, Jesus returned, listen, in judgment in AD 70. In AD 70. And we're going to get to talk about that when we get to Matthew 24. But before, before we... Let's pause here and listen to what I'm saying. I am not saying that Jesus will not return again. Amen? Jesus is returning again to raise the dead and the the, the living and the dead. And the great white throne judgment. Death and Hades are going to be thrown into the pit. Right? 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom over to his father, for he must reign until all of his enemies are under his feet. The last enemy to defeat is death. Jesus will return to defeat that last enemy. But when we see things like this in our Gospels, where Jesus clearly says that he's going to return before some of his disciples die, before his disciples even finish going through the towns of Jerusalem, we cannot say that Jesus is talking about his return at the end of history because we turn him into a liar. 
one thing I would say about this. Some people would take this verse and they talk about the transfiguration, okay? That Jesus is talking here about the transfiguration. That some of you aren't going to taste death until you see me coming in my kingdom, they're meaning the transfiguration. Uh, uh, that, that literally it happened a week later, okay? Now, so try to think of that. Would it be any... Why would Jesus even say that some of you aren't going to taste death before a week passes, okay? That's not... It just doesn't fit within the context of what Jesus is saying. So ultimately, again... I think Jesus is clearly talking about his return in judgment in AD 70 upon the, the covenant breakers in Jerusalem, right? That's what pro- was prophesied in the Old Testament to happen. All right, from Matthew 16, let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Okay, Matthew chapter 21. And you see how this is, this is kind of unfolding here, okay? Matthew 21, we're going to look at the judgment that, uh, that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 21, okay? Now, this is a weird, uh, kind of a weird passage if you don't really understand what's going on, okay? Um, but Matthew 21, verse 18, it says, In the morning, he, as he was returning to the city, meaning Jesus, he became hungry. He says, Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but leaves only. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, listen, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now listen, this is one of the most (laughs) quoted um, uh, Bible verses ever. Right, and you've probably heard sermons on this, right? And it's 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 a it's a verse that's taken completely out of context. And they'll you know you have pastors like you know what are your what are your relationship mountains, right? What are your financial mountains? What what mountains are you facing in your life, right? Well, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you just stay to them mountain. You tell you tell that relationship mountain to be thrown into the sea, and it'll it'll be thrown into if you have faith, right? Now, ultimately, let's let's think about this. The context: Jesus has just cursed a fig tree for not bearing any fruit. Now what we need to know and understand is that in our Old Testament, Israel is regarded as a fig tree. Something else we need to know, what is God always desiring from us as, a, as believers, as his people, that we bear what? That we bear fruit. And so this very symbolic passage where Jesus sees a fig tree, Israel, that isn't bearing any fruit, and he curses it, right? says, no fruit's coming from you ever again. Then right after that, he tells his disciples, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it'll happen. What does he mean when he says this mountain? What is he talking about? What is this mountain? You guys know this. What is Jerusalem? What, what's another name that we give Jerusalem? What, what, what do we see all throughout our Old Testament, even some of our New Testament? What is Jerusalem's name? It's Mount Zion, right? Listen to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, verse 6. This is talking specifically about Mount Zion. Um, actually, I need to go to Isaiah 25. Yeah, Isaiah 25. Not Isaiah 5. Sorry about that, guys. Let me turn to Isaiah 25, um, verse 6 and 7. Here we go. On this mountain, 
The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces, and the, the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth that the Lord has spoken. Now listen, ultimately this is a, a, a salvation text, right? That on this mountain, Mount Zion, he's going to take away death. Death is going to be defeated. How do we know that? Well, Jesus, where was he crucified? Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem, right? And, and, and so in Isaiah 25, we have this mountain referring to what? Jerusalem, right? It's a city. It's not a metaphor for uh, your relationships or uh, your socioeconomic status. This is a very um, um, symbolic meaning. And Jesus is telling his disciples, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the ocean. Again, judgment language. He's talking about the judgment that is coming to Jerusalem. And specifically the covenant breakers in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, here's what you need to know. We've already talked a little bit about this, but in the latter part of Matthew's 21st chapter, we have this parable of the wicked tenants, remember? Um, remember, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he gives them a parable. Now, this is so important, but basically, the, I'm not going to read this, but I'll, I'll give you a background, right? A man, he, he, he buys a vineyard and he sets in the middle of it a, um, a wine press and he leases it out to tenants, right? And, and, and all he wants to do is get the fruit when it's in season. And he keeps sending servants in. What do they do? They beat them up. They send them away. He sends more servants in the next time. They kill them. Doesn't get his fruit. He sends more servants. They kill them. Finally, he sends his son, right? And he says, they'll obey my son. But what happens? Well, when the tenants see the son coming from far off, they say, hey, Here's, our, here's his son. Let's kill him and, and take his inheritance, right? And, and so they ultimately they kill the son. And then Jesus asks the question of the Pharisees. Listen to what he asks in verse 40 of Matthew 21. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Listen, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And then Jesus says this, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Listen, therefore I tell you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the first century Pharisees. Therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. For the chief priests, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that they were, they were speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Wow. So what's the context here? What is Jesus doing? Here's a question. Who are the servants and the son? Who are they? What's Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about in your Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, uh, God sends prophets. What happened to the prophets in the Old Testament? They were stoned, right? They were beat up. They were killed. 
right? And finally, listen, the, the one who is seeking to get the fruit. Now, remember the context earlier. Jesus saw the fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit. He cursed it, right? Israel is the fig tree, remember. So Israel is not bearing fruit. They are breaking covenant. And then Jesus gives this parable of the wicked tenants, right? They got that, that, that this, this, this uh, vineyard owner gives it out to these tenants, but they're not giving the fruit away. Right? Now listen, this is there's nothing new under the sun. And one of our problems is we don't know our Old Testament well enough. So when we read this, um, this parable, we don't understand that this comes from somewhere. It comes from Isaiah chapter 5. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 5 says. This is crazy. Okay, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But all it yielded was wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Listen now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they shall rain no more upon it. Listen, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now ultimately, judgment was brought on Israel. Isaiah 5 is talking about pre-second temple Israel. And he's talking about, again, the same thing that Jesus is talking about. That God is, is looking for this vineyard, his people, Israel, to bear fruit, and they're not. And so ultimately he says, it's done. What happened after Isaiah 5? What happened? Judgment came. How? Babylon came. Destroyed the city and the sanctuary, right? Destroyed the temple and took them off into captivity. Now let's fast forward a couple hundred years. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 21. The same thing happens. Jesus gives a story. And who do the, who do the, the Pharisees understand he's talking about? He's talking about them. It's the very same thing. Yahweh in the Old Testament talks the same way to his people, Israel. Yahweh in the flesh in the New Testament is talking to the covenant breakers here. The kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. Guys, first century Israel had broken covenant. They no longer were producing fruit. God was sending people to get it. And nothing came back. No fruit. And so ultimately what happens? God says, Jesus tells the Pharisees that the kingdom is going to be taken away from them and given to a nation producing its fruit. Let's keep going. As we think about the, the teapot on the stove, we are, I mean, we're at a boiling point here. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. <clears throat> 
I'm not going to read all of these woes, but in Matthew 23, we have the seven woes that Jesus gives out to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, ultimately, what you need to know about a woe is it's basically Jesus saying, cursed are you, cursed are you, cursed are you. And he's saying all these woes to who? The scribes and the Pharisees, the covenant breakers of Israel. I'll start reading in verse 29, okay, so we can get at least one of these woes in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Listen, thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Listen, this is so important. Fill up then the measure of your father's sin. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Listen to this. This is so important, guys. So that on you, who? First century Jerusalem may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. All of these things. Jesus says, fill up the wrath of your sin. Fill up the wrath of your father's sin. He ultimately says, all the blood of the righteous from Abel to Zechariah is going to be on that generation. Now, what do we have to know about a generation? What's a biblical generation? It's usually about 40 years. And think about it in the context. Jesus has already told his disciples they're not going to finish going throughout the towns of Jerusalem before he returns, right? He already told his disciples and the people there listening that some, some of them aren't going to taste death before they see him return. Now he tells the Pharisees all of these things are going to come upon this generation. The blood of the righteous is going to be required of that generation. Now listen to what he says in verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Sound familiar? Sounds like the parable of the tenants, doesn't it? How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Listen to this. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Guys, this is so clear, is it not? What does Jesus mean when he says that their house is going to be laid to them desolate? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? Well, we're going to see what he's talking about in Matthew 24. Okay, Very next verse, verse 1 of Matthew 24, listen to what it says. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And he answered them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be sent down. What is he talking about? Their house being laid to them desolate? He's talking about the temple. The temple in Jerusalem, he says, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the, listen, the age? Now, part of our problem, now, uh, please hear me. 
I love the King James Version. I think it's a, it's a fine version that you want to use. But, but ultimately, the King James doesn't do very good at this point in uh, translating the original Greek. If you read a King James Version of Matthew 24, verse 3, um, the, the disciples, the end of here, the, the word for age that, that I just read, that word age, is um, it's gr- the Greek word aeon. It doesn't mean world. It doesn't mean the entire um, universe, right? We're not talking about the close of human history here. We're talking about a very specific age. Now, what age are they talking about? Well, listen, the, the Jewish disciples understood once the temple was destroyed, there was no temple left, then the Jewish age would be done. All of the things that the Jews would do happened in the temple. And if the temple's no longer there, then the Jewish age is over. It's done. And so ultimately, they asked a very specific question. What are going to be the signs of your coming? And at the end of the age, okay? And so now we're going to get into see what Jesus says is going to happen on the way up there. Now, just one really quick quick thing to do. Jesus has just left the temple. He's cleansed it, and now he's going up to the Mount of Olives. What, one thing you have to know, um, in Ezekiel 11.22, the same thing happens with the Spirit of Yahweh. Spirit of Yahweh leaves the temple and he goes up to the Mount of Olives, right? And ultimately from there he pronounces judgment on Jerusalem. Okay? Go to Ezekiel chapter 11 and read it. The same thing. The Spirit of Yahweh leaves the temple, he goes to the Mount of Olives, and he pronounces judgment on Jerusalem. What happens after that? Judgment happened. Another nation came upon Jerusalem, Babylon, tore their city apart, killed uh, a ton of people sent him into exile, okay? So again, it's the same thing. Jesus now is God in flesh, same same path, out of the temple, up to the Mount of Olives, and now again, he is going to pronounce judgment again on Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying that I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed, for this must take place. Now, here's the deal, guys. If I told you today that you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Is that any, I mean, what does that have any bearing whatsoever? Would you be like, oh my gosh, what? We're going to have wars and rumors of wars? That, that wouldn't make any sense. Now, think about the context that Jesus is in. When Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, where are they? They're in the first century. They're during the time of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so there were no wars or rumors of wars. And so when Jesus says this, it's a big deal because they are during the time of the Pax Romana. It says in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, here's what you need to understand. Again, uh, we see earthquakes all the time here. But, but just do a little history, okay? Do a little history of the first century, specifically between uh, 30 and 65, 68 A.D. There, there were earthquakes Everywhere Now, we know that Pompeii, which was um, a, a volcano ultimately, we know volcanoes start with earthquakes. So the greatest volcano ever was uh, mid-60s A.D., right? And so Jesus says that there's going to be all of these, these things that are happening physically around the world, right? There's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of the birth pains, he says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, who's he talking to? 
Guys, listen, Jesus is not talking to you and I. I'm sorry. Who's he talking to? Who asked the question? His disciples did. And so Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples that they are going to be delivered up. They're going to be persecuted. They are going to be killed. Just do some history, guys. It came true. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the, the end will come. Now, ultimately, here's what you need to know. Um, when, when, when Jesus says that um, the gospel is going to be proclaimed through the whole world, um, we have to contextually look at that, right? In, um, I think it's in Luke um, where it talks about the census that um, Herod gave, right? It's that, it says Herod gave a census of the whole world, right? It um, doesn't mean that the entire human population was given a census, right? That ultimately, the word that's used there, it means the inhabited earth that they're in. So when Jesus says that, that, that the gospel is going to be proclaimed to the whole world, well, it would be. And if we read Paul, um, later on in his letters, he says that the gospel has been proclaimed in all of the earth. Right? He says it. He literally says that that has been fulfilled. But verse 15 is where we, uh, where, where we get to now. It says, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take his uh, cloak out of his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant for those nursing and infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. Nor will there ever be. Now, Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation, get out. It says flee to the mountains. Now, what we need to know is um, Matthew's talking to a very Jewish audience, but just all you all you have to do is go to Luke chapter twenty one, right? In Luke chapter twenty one, the same thing is given, the same the, the same uh, Olivet discourse, and Luke tells the, the, a different story. Jesus says, "When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee." So here's what we need to we understand: one, this is a localized event, right? Because the the way you get away from it is what you flee to the mountains. So this isn't a, a catastrophic worldwide event. This is a very local event that's happening. So here's what I want you to do. For yourself, I want you to look up the flight to Pella. The flight to Pella. Because ultimately, in AD 70, when Rome came, in 66 AD, the Jewish and Roman War began. Rome surrounded Jerusalem. But there was a revolt going on in Rome, and so ultimately they surrounded Jerusalem, and then they left for a little bit. And, and you can read in historians like Josephus, they, they all account this, they left. And during that time, once, once the Romans left, guess what the Christians did? They peaced out, bro. They left. Why? Because 40 years earlier, a generation, by the way, earlier... Jesus had told them, when you see this very specific event, leave, get out. And they left, and the Christians in Jerusalem went to a city in the mountains called Pella. And there they waited out the entirety of the Jewish and Roman war. And guys, it was brutal. Millions and millions of Christians were crucified, or not Christians, sorry, Jews were crucified. 
Um, it, it was brutal. There, uh, if you read Josephus, Josephus records that, that the blood was literally, it was like a river going down the streets of Jerusalem. Um, just really, really, um, just uh, brutal, brutal stuff. But ultimately, what did Jesus say would happen? Their house was going to be laid to them desolate, right? That, that judgment was going to come on the covenant breakers. Now, what you need to know is when, when the armies of Vespasian, when they actually made it through Jerusalem and they saw the temple, they saw um, that the temple in between each of the bricks that they were made, it was, it was kind of lined with gold. And so they saw it and they said, well, we want this gold. And what did they do? They took it apart. Listen, stone off of stone. They took it all apart, the whole thing, and they destroyed it. And guys, listen, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Now, judgment came on the covenant breakers in AD 70. Rome came, destroyed the city and the sanctuary. Listen, just as it was prophesied to do so. Just as it was prophesied to do so. Now, here we have the, the cosmic deconstruction language. Listen, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give his light. The stars will fall from heaven and the sign of the Son of Man. And then all, uh, sorry, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Uh, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, ultimately, here's what we do. We read this and we're like, okay, let's go look outside. Oh, the moon's still there. Oh, our sun's still there. Well, this couldn't have happened. Because Jesus said the sun's going to fall. The stars are going to fall from heaven, right? The sun's not going to give its light. Again, our problem is not that we want to know what God says. That's not our problem. The problem is we don't know our Old Testament near well enough. What is Jesus doing here? He's quoting Scripture, guys. Listen to uh, Isaiah 13. This is an oracle concerning Babylon, who ultimately, listen, was judged by another nation, Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. What is this, what is this guys? This is how Yahweh speaks. This is judgment hyperbole. It's cosmic deconstruction language, yes. But, but listen, when, when, G, when, when God says to Babylon, the day of the Lord comes, the sun's not going to give its light, the moon's not going to give its light, the stars are going to fall from heaven, did it literally happen? No. No, but judgment came on Babylon by Persia. Persia came and destroyed Babylon. And so when Jesus quotes Isaiah 13 and says all of these things are going to happen, the sun's going to fall, moon's not going to give its light. What is he talking about, guys? He's not talking literally that the sun and the stars are going to fall from heaven. It's judgment language, the same language that Yahweh in the Old Testament used when declaring judgment on another nation. And so, guys, that's a lot that we've gone through. And so um, I hope this has been beneficial to you. Um, here's the question that we need to answer. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. Number one, I'll give you this reason. Um, if we have a, a, a view of eschatology that, that isn't what the Bible is presenting, 
then ultimately we give uh, we give the enemy of, of our scriptures a, a weapon, don't we? Because ultimately Jesus said multiple times that, that some people weren't going to die before he returned, right? There in the first century. He told his disciples, you're not going to finish going through the towns of Jerusalem before you see me coming in my kingdom. He told uh, the Pharisees there that all of the righteous blood are going to be required of that generation. And if we put all of that stuff future to us, guys, listen, we give weapons to the enemy of our scriptures that they do not deserve to have. And we make uh, as... as uh, and I don't... As sincere as we are, we turn Jesus into a liar if we put all of this future to us. Here's the truth. It was prophesied that the Messiah would come. He would be preceded by a messenger in Malachi 3. The Messiah would come to his temple. He would sit and refine. He would die a violent death and bring salvation. And then he would bring judgment. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus returned in judgment in AD 70. Why does this matter? Well, we already said one. Number two, why does this matter? Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. He's the promise keeper. We are the promise breakers, right? We are the covenant breakers. God is the promise keeper. Guys, uh, we've done this... Um, all throughout the last four or five podcasts, we've looked in the Old Testament at the promise that the Messiah would come, His kingdom would begin, His kingdom would start, and it would it would uh, grow and grow and grow, right? We said that, that God promised when the Messiah would come that He would not only bring salvation, but He would also bring judgment. Jesus declared that it would happen, and it did. Jesus is who He says He is. He is the Messiah, the Son of God the eternal Lagos. And we, listen, we can be confident that He will keep His promises. What are some promises that God gives you? What are they? Think about them. Ultimately, here's the promise that He gives. If you're listening to this and you're not a believer, the promise that He gives is if you would turn from your sin, if you would turn from your sin and put your faith and your trust in, 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 in Jesus, He will forgive you of your sins. If you are willing to turn and make Him Lord, Jesus is Lord. And He will return. But first, His gospel will be victorious. Do you believe that? Do you believe His gospel will be victorious? I do. Hey guys, listen, uh, again, thank you um, for stopping by, for listening. I know this was a little long, um, but but guys, it's, it's something that's very important. So next week, we're going to kind of continue through this, um, look at it, maybe look at it a little bit deeper. Um, if you have questions <clears throat> about this, feel free to uh, uh, let me know. Um, look me up on Facebook or Instagram. Shoot me an instant message. Like if you got some questions, you want to sit down and talk about these things, I, I would love to. Uh, because um, ultimately, I, I believe this is very, very important. But God bless you guys. Have a good week. I appreciate you stopping by.